0: You're watching UPN, the United Paramount Network. All right, everyone. Chill. And a special hello out there in listener land to everyone in the North-South Connection Podcast Network or anyone who just happened to stumble across this wonderful program. My name is Johnny C., and I am here to uh, bring to all of you the pilot episode of of a brand new limited series that I've had in production for some time and now feel ready to unveil to the public. So, we're calling this show Unveiling Potent Numbers, The Smackdown 6. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Johnny C., what the hell does that mean? And what have I gotten myself into by agreeing to press play on another show that I saw was hosted by you? Well... The first thing I would say is just relax. It's not, it's not fun. It, well, okay, I thought it was kind of humorous, but it's called Unveiling Potent Numbers SmackDown Six because uh, it fits the acronym UPN and SmackDown Six because I am here to talk to everyone about a very specific time frame in the history of everybody's second favorite weekly episodic wrestling program, WWF at the time, SmackDown. Now, we call it Unveiling Potent Numbers because I have been really trying to dig into the old Johnny C. playbook and try to produce content that appeals to as large of an audience as possible. Now, why would someone want to do that? Well, I have a lot of fun doing this, and I hope the rest of you have a lot of fun listening to it. And there's so many great programs that are able to bring a unique spin or analysis that quantifies their love of wrestling. And while I have to admit that over the course of this project and just podcasting in general and being a fan of the content creators and listening to stuff on the network, that I feel like my wrestling viewing habits and reasons for viewing may differ. Uh, I mean, everybody's do. Everyone's does. Um but at the same time, I definitely notice that there are certain aspects of the art form, if you will, that uh, I enjoy that not everyone does, or that maybe stand out to me more, and what have you. And I wanted to see, I wanted to really test myself to quantify that, to provide listeners with a way to experience things the way that I do, to a certain extent, of course. I mean, is that really possible? Well, no. But I figured if we had some sort of numerical hierarchy to uh, which we could weigh out success or failure of this weekly episodic television program, uh, that we could all have a good time together. So let me introduce the concept and see if it's something that you would like to hang out for. Now, as I had mentioned, I am going to be hosting this for you, and I'm also sort of the moderator, points giver, judges, all that fun stuff that you could possibly think of. But I will not do Simon Cowell impression. Alright? It's miserable. Not good. Has he softened over the years? I can't stand reality TV. I don't know. So... You know, like I said, it's a show about the SmackDown 6, which is something we'll get into here in a little bit. But how are we going to quantify the value of this SmackDown 6? Could it possibly be six wrestlers? Well, no, it's not. It's it's six specific episodes of the SmackDown television program. I'll get into it, I promise. But uh, it is a show that's basically centered around points, okay? Now, these points exist... Uh, So that at the end of each episode, not only the episode that I'll be discussing, but the episode, this episode of the episodes of the podcast, if you will, uh, the points can be tallied and used to determine if the episode in question earned its viewership. I'll explain it. I promise. Now, I thought to myself about how could I award points that would not only be different from what other shows have, uh, just, you know, because I think variety is important, but also relate to the aspects of wrestling that. I enjoy the most. And I, I turn to, and I don't mean this jokingly, I turn to the Emmys, the Emmy Awards, which honestly would be the types of awards that these types of shows would win if they were to the par of that organization, or above par, I should say, of that or, or under par. God, golf, man, why you got to be so confusing? If they, if they were better than what they expected in that area, perhaps would be the best way to think about it. Now, the points are awarded in the, on our, in four categories. The first category from the Emmys is acting. Now, a point awarded for acting must be related to a specific action or aspect of a performance wherein the actor performed above and beyond norms. I'm not trying to sound like a lawyer and I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm really cool by writing that out. I hope that that makes sense. It's all a little subjective, but uh, at least... I can't just arbitrarily award points for no reason. I can't be like, oh, there was a sign in this there's a sign in the audience that said tits and it was funny, so I gave it a point. Which I'd be happy to do an episode like that sometime, but this is a very special limited series that will follow these rules. If you like it. We can always expand or maybe do another limited series that follows a specific series of shows. I don't know. I'm open to anything. Clearly, I love the sound of my own voice. Directing must be related to an action or aspect of production that contributed to the greater overall experience. Writing must be related to a specific action or aspect that contributes to the narrative being presented. Now, the fourth category along the, the, the... you know, I guess the guidelines that I mentioned earlier about the funny sign I use funny in quotation marks. I know that, you know, that joke's not funny to everybody. Um, These are called intangibles. They are completely subjected to my personal taste. However, I have put a hard cap at five points per episode. Once I, or if I get to five intangible points, that doesn't mean I'm going to spend all of them, but if there's something that really stands out to my overall enjoyment that does not fit into the categories... I can give it five, but since I want to keep it, you know, I want to I want to standardize it, I'm only I'm capping it out of five. I think that's a reasonable number to count for the subjective individual tastes that don't relate to those categories. Um, the total score that is, net, you know, I mean, because obviously what are these points for? You know, at the end of the episode, after I award all the points, um, there's... You know, if it equals 69 or uh, 88, you know, does that really matter? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what the points are, you know, we're trying to gain. The total score necessary to claim victory is determined by the overall television viewership ratings of the episode in question. The correlation to that being that a point being awarded in the specific categories that I laid out should relatively be equal to an instance of a viewer not turning the channel. So to keep it simple, a point being awarded for one of these four categories is basically like, oh, I think I'm not going to change the channel. I like what I just saw. I don't know why I did that voice. Why do I... (sighs) That's part... I'm part of the problem, folks. I did like a Larry the Cable Guy voice to describe a wrestling fan. I'm sorry. Well, kind of. Um... So yeah, so basically if the episode in question earned a 4.3 overall viewer rating, that means they have to get to 43 points in order to claim the right to that viewership or to be like, you know what you were worth your weight in viewers or whatever. You did a good job uh, for me as a baseline, hopefully wrestling fan, I think that the the viewers were well earned, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, whatever you want to put on it. Now, um one of the things that you might think is like, well, I mean, if the, if the, if the show got a 4.6, that is 46 points, but how hard is it going to be to get to 46 points? And I'm like, well, if you think about these episodes of SmackDown, they're usually around like 88 to 90 minutes because of commercials. And how much of that time is spent with, you know, entrances or talking heads with the announcers? Now, granted... Uh, you could maybe get an intangible point for something like that or maybe a direction point if, uh, you know, there's like a, a you know, because editing a video package, for example, would be like part of direction. Uh, you know, let's say you, 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 you do a good visual cue with like music or a sound effect and the visual a story that's being presented. I mean, that's what directing is. You know, it might be funny that uh, if you watch that cocky, Royal rumble music video, they, they add all those like silly sound effects to cover up the cursing. And I would say, Oh, that's like a hilarious and something goofy like that might be worth like an intangible point. But if it's something done that has merit, um, and falls in these categories, I mean, that's an, that's a way to get a point. So you can certainly earn points, even though there aren't matches being wrestled. I mean, I would say that's probably where, especially in 99, uh, which is what we're doing. A large majority of points are going to be earned, but you never know. Um, So it's possible you might go minutes at a time without any points. What if you get, like, Chaz versus D'Lo Brown? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not throwing shade at those guys. Former tag team champions, maybe? Lowdown? I don't know if they ever won the belts. But uh, that's irrelevant. So um, you might be asking yourself, why do this? Okay? And to give you the big picture of why I'm what would be interested in this. I really think we're dealing with truly unique television programs. So what I'm going to be doing and one episode per episode with this being the pilot, we will cover the pilot episode of SmackDown from the end of April, 1999. The next five episodes will cover one in a piece. The first five episodes of SmackDown ever, um, you know, if you want to, once they were approved to be an actual ongoing television program, you know, the pilot's the pilot and that's why we call it the SmackDown 6 plus it has fun synergy with those six wrestlers from uh, O2 that you could hear all about on the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast. The SmackDown 6 era is primarily in the archives at this point in terms of when they were tag teams but, you know, that era never really ends if those folks are there, so check it out every other Tuesday or in the back catalog archives. The host is a really nice guy and their guests are always Humorous. So, I, I do think they're truly unique television programs. They are unique uh, from a wrestling standpoint, if you just want to get critical, that we've got the follow up, uh, you know, the first episode, the pilot's the pilot. It has huge story implications. And then the, the string of episodes that are actually um, part of the first season, if you will, cover right after SummerSlam 99 in a huge uh, event. Uh, And then the rest of them lead up to basically what would be the first pay-per-view of the SmackDown era, but also are uniquely positioned as their own television, episodes of television themselves. Think about it like this, guys. This is, you know, you go to a, back in the day when you'd go to a used DVD store, and you'd be like, holy shit, I love Cheers. I'm going to buy the first three seasons because they have them for the cheap. That first season is always it, pick a show, man. The first season is always different. Hell, some what is it? Seinfeld doesn't get good till season three, they say, or at least doesn't find its groove or its comfort level of, this is the type of, of episodic television we're producing, okay? Wrestling is a little bit different. They know how to produce episodic television, but let's not kid ourselves. They're not here to produce uh, captive I mean they are but from uh, these guys don't only know how to put on wrestling shows though so what does that equate to when it comes to wrestling they are really giving these episodes a lot of polish and marquee attractions are being presented items that you could arguably sell pay-per-view buys pay-per-view tickets like stuff around that Now, And it's also interesting because television was so huge at the time. Television was the bread and butter. So it's such a unique time period and series of episodes because they're trying to establish themselves as something someone would want to watch on network television um, week to week. But also, how do you sell it to actual existing wrestling fans? How do you make it must-see? You know, you're almost going to spoil your new audience if they think that they're going to get a goddamn Buried Alive match every week. But for us, meaning wrestling fans, they're delivering high-level marquee attractions. Now, it might be a four-minute Inferno match. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't even know if that's the case. But, you know... It's still the spectacle, and that's sort of the caveat. We're going to do this stuff, but you're not going to get what you would get behind a paywall. Maybe I don't know. That's going to be part of the fun. Um, so that's the big picture of why I do a project centered around these six episodes. I've always been fascinated with it for very personal reasons that I'll get into here. Uh, you know, for now. So uh, the question then you might want to ask yourself is why do it now? Like why am I sitting here recording this now? The Wrestling Above Replacement program, cheap plug for them, but hey, they deserve it. Uh, Rotating Fridays with uh, JT and Marcus. They've been doing the 1999-2000 season, which really has been delivering scores above and beyond what I think you would assume they would. Now, why would you assume something in a positive or negative way about the scores they would get on, you know, 99-2000 pay-per-views would get on that show? Those guys are great, and You know, I only have my history with them as podcasters to go on. They're definitely capable of providing analysis that encompasses all aspects of the television product, but with a heavy emphasis on match quality in regards to intangibles. And I really like that process because it's made me realize that I'm pretty much an intangibles guy. I don't know how I've been a wrestling fan since 1989 by honestly thinking the matches are the least interesting part. But when I was a huge, like, hardcore fan, that's the way I felt. Whereas now, if I'm going to sit down and watch, like, WrestleMania, like I did a few months ago or what have you, I you know, wanted to see a good match from Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, and then a little bit of spectacle from Steve Austin. But I was keying in to see the match quality and what the, what the, what the performers could do, because I think wrestling's changed and maybe that's why I'm a casual viewer because the items that are going to entertain you the most nowadays are the in ring, which has always been my least, I don't want to say favorite, but the, you know, I, I'm not saying, oh, I'm not saying it's like a, Oh, woe is me. Like, I struggled as a kid with ADD, not knowing that I was, um, I'm fine. Everything is totally cool. This isn't the, the world's smallest violin playing for me. Uh, you know, medication's awesome. But my point is, is that, um, you know, mentally I'm a little bit different now and I can focus a bit more. Uh, so I think it's, it's an interesting time to challenge myself when it comes to matches. But at the same time, I, I really want to hearken back to this era to see if, The taste is still there. Um, You know, when I grasped onto those intangibles, a lot of it was, you know, was a teenage like slapstick type stuff. I don't know. I can't recall. You know, is it going to be entertaining to me to, to, I don't know. We all know how 99 and 2000 is. So I'm really interested in going back and seeing if I can still dig it. Uh, with it being not match quality uh, intensive which is what I'd be interested in now and I could still enjoy it based on who I was back at the time where you know they were appealing to a lot of teenagers so I'm really fascinated about that aspect of it plus plus i I said plus feel free to make fun of me tweet me at the Johnny C and tell me what a gaff that was but producing the WCW must die show which is primarily a show that um, brings to life the more humorous aspects of wrestling when the company is falling apart and has a lot of fun. I don't want to necessarily say at the expense of Vince Russo, because I will gladly give the guy props. I clearly am a, a student of his viewership uh, philosophy because I was totally into it at the time when he was on top in WWF. Um, so I kind of want to see his last stand. You know, I've seen, I've, I, might have, I may have seen too many Russo shoot interviews to the point where I can tell you specifically when he must have been like in a good place in life versus a bad time versus on how much he wants to talk shit or not talk shit or if Ed Farah is sitting next to him or not sitting next to him. Um, but he always tells the same story, the old get a housekeeper, you know, like we started watching, writing Smackdown and we didn't get paid, which I'm totally on his side for. I want to make that very clear. If your fucking job responsibilities get doubled and your pay isn't increased... Um, there's a problem, and the problem's not you. The problem's the people compensating you. That's just a general rule of thumb, in my opinion. So I really want to see, like, his last stand. His, His, you know, is this going to be... You know, famous writers, directors, like, their last movie, their last performance, if you're an actor, you know, before you pass... Obviously, Mr. Russo has passed away, and I'm not saying that that's what... I don't want to compare that to, because that's... The man's a father, and a brother, and a whatever, and a sister, and a... I don't care. He's a a real person. I'm not saying that, you know, I want to compare... I want to be morbid about it. But what I am saying is that if this is his last WWF stand, you know, the last performance, the last aspects or contributions that he has to offer, I... I kind of want to revisit that having been so closely tied into WCW's dying days. Now, what makes it fun for me aside from all that stuff? Well, I I think on one of my shows, I told a story about how I, um, I, I casually threw in that I ended up at the principal of my high school's house watching the pilot episode of SmackDown. Um, because I, no one in the, I didn't know anyone that had UPN, uh, in the town that I grew up in, uh, you only ended up getting a UPN affiliate, which was WSTR star 64 out of Cincinnati. My hometown was like an hour away from Cincinnati. And you only really picked up that network, which was a UPN. If you had like rabbit ears. And by the time it was not a lot of people had rabbit ears unless they did by necessity. I E they lived outside of the main part of town and just had, you know, satellite or rabbit ears and, you know, satellite, I don't know if it's affordable now. I've never had a satellite. I'm assuming it is because they're a dime a dozen. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how affordable it was at the time. I just don't know how common it was at the time. I was not a satellite subscriber. And that's a fun story in, like, my personal history, not only with wrestling, but with, like, buddies. Um, because I sort of had an antagonistic relationship with my principal at the time. But, you know, and I can, I'll can i tell that uh, maybe at the end of this episode since we're covering the pilot. Stay tuned for that. That's a hook. That's what we call a hook, boys. Ah, I love you, Vince. Thank God for your accent. Um, So, yeah, so it it, it has, like, fun personal stuff. Uh, I love the corporate ministry theme song. I think enough said about that. Who doesn't? Um, And then when we get into the era of the show actually being produced weekly for consumption, um, uh, we had recently gotten uh, a—well, not recently gotten a new TV, but uh, somebody, some family member gave my— my, gave the kids of, in my household like an old TV that was in my brother's room that was so antique, maybe it had a built-in receptor. I don't know, for some reason I was able to get Star 64 uh, but man was it non-reliable but I could at least, it, it wasn't nearly as bad as like Scramble Vision, but it was like oh, there's a clear there's a clear fuzzy picture for 10 seconds, there's a oh, now it's kind of clear and less fuzzy for 30 minutes and then vroomp. okay So that was a not fun way to consume this product, especially when it's 1999 and they're producing the content that they are. We're talking about these episodes. You want to talk about marquee attractions, the pilot we talked about. I briefly mentioned corporate ministry, but like, fuck, man. Buried Alive matches, Triple H gauntlets that involve every specialty match that 1999 had to offer, Vincent Kennedy McMahon doing Vincent Kennedy McMahon shit. I don't want to spoil it in case maybe anybody hasn't seen it. Um, but, God, that's shit you don't want to miss. And when you compound the fact that as a little kid, I couldn't avoid spoilers because I had to know instantly, oh, my God, what happened, and then I would still happily tune in and watch beat per beat. But then, throw on top of all this, having shitty TV reception... It's the fall of 99, and God damn it, guys, I'm taking driver's ed. And wouldn't you fucking know it, it ran from like 6.30 to 8.30 every Thursday night for almost the entire fall. So I'm battling that shit uphill. And TV wasn't like it is now, kiddos. I don't know what the demographic is, so I say kiddos if anyone out there doesn't actually know. You couldn't just miss something and instantly, I mean, fuck, I'm not even going to go into it. You missed that. Pilot episode of SmackDown. Well, good fucking luck because wrestling doesn't air repeats. All right. And there's no YouTube. There's no Apple TV. Uh, fuck, there's no even archaic like iTunes store where you could download an episode or buy an episode for like three bucks. You know, that's old school streaming, purchasing shenanigans, brand synergy. So, I don't know. So, so. These six, the SmackDown six, my SmackDown six, and hopefully yours too, man, it's got a lot of unique history with me as a person, with wrestling as a television product, and fuck, I'm excited to get into this. Um, I'm going to actually step away and watch the fucking show, come back and do points and do an episode proper, but this was what I wanted to give you to see, or excuse me, so you could see if you're coming on board. There's going to be a seamless transition to the actual fucking show. All right, hopefully. But. Sorry, could you say that again? I hate my, my watch so goddamn much. But stay tuned for fun stuff like that, too. I'll see you on the other side of this brief thing, maybe a musical interlude that I'll throw in, and then we'll we'll do the actual show. I hope you enjoyed the pregame and you want to stay with us for the SmackDown 6 U.P.N. Wrestling fans, welcome back to UPN. Gary Michael Gambetta, God love your crazy, high-pitched voice. But uh, we're back. We're here to actually talk about the absolute first episode of WWF Smackdown, The Pilot, Episode 0. All, you know, I guess any of those things could also be like a crazy Japanese video game spin-off of SmackDown. Like, WWF SmackDown! Episode Zero! Pilot Magma! Unlimited. Because video games love adjectives. They really... really look at the adjective. Adjective, if you will. So, we're going to talk about the very first episode of SmackDown that ever aired. And it was on the brand new United Paramounts Network or UPN. UPN was an interesting little experiment. It came around at the exact same time of the WB, which was Warner Brothers' foray into syndicated television primetime programming, whereas UPN was Paramount's. It's kind of funny. Uh, if they'd stuck with the trajectories that they have today, so... They're still in Paramount, of course, is a Viacom company, and they're still in bed with Viacom today because, no, they're not in bed with Viacom anymore because Viacom owns TNN. NBC Universal, excuse me, Universal owns NBC now, which, of course, owns Peacock, which is where they're at. And then, of course, Fox, uh, the television network is owned by Fox, whereas the Fox Studios properties are now owned by Disney. Jesus, I did not expect to go off on this tangent, guys, but I just kind of wanted to talk briefly about UPN and WB. Um, Basically, if you had a television network in your local community that was not affiliated with CBS, Fox, ABC, or NBC, this is the type of network that would perhaps become a WB or UPN affiliate, which is why the penetration was not nearly as high as the other networks because the big four, if you will, were sort of guaranteed in your local area, whereas five and six, UPN and WB, would spend years going back and forth over who was worse, to be honest with you. Um, You know, UPN, gosh, I don't want to speak out of turn because this is all out of memory, but SmackDown was obviously huge for UPN, especially during these early years, as well as the enterprise television show, which was kind of their cornerstone in terms of original content that they were producing. Whereas the WB had a lot, of, a, a lot of decently rated modest hits, but also some real powerhouses catering to, you guessed it, the teen market. Um, Dawson's Creek. Yep. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Roswell. I'm forgetting. So Felicity. I know I'm forgetting a big one that I even probably liked. Fuck. It's irrelevant. But those types of shows. Uh, I love Dawson's Creek. I bet to the surprise of no one. Um, so... The fact that this was on UPN was interesting because it was one of the two new syndicated networks. But also, arguably, especially at the time, it's the lesser powerhouse of the two. Of course, eventually and hilariously, the UPN networks and the WB networks would combine to form the all-powerful CW, which still exists today. And carries lots of TV shows that should have been canceled a long time ago, like The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. Fucking, I guess Arrow is gone now. I just, those DC shows drive me crazy and I'm a massive DC fan, so go figure, right? So, it was taped on April 27th, 1999 as a pilot episode. Uh, If you don't know what a pilot is, it's a, basically a a, a first episode. It's a, if you like this, expect more of the same, but better. Uh, Because, you know, when a show is actually picked up, there's a little more money invested into it, et cetera, et cetera. And you can really tell that uh, from this opening show not that it's not doesn't have a high production value but well we'll get into it it aired on 429 1999 and they didn't travel too far from home it's in New Haven Connecticut in the New Haven Coliseum now I've never been to Connecticut it's one of my goals in life which I know might sound strange to a lot of people but I need to like get as close to Titan Tower as I can and get my picture taken with it behind me that's a bucket list thing Um, so how are we going to handle this? You know, we talked about the points in the pregame. I scoured the internet. I went to a lot of different sources, to be honest with you. And I should probably pull up the name of the source that I'm going to be citing. So, um, I used wrestlingdata.com to determine what the television rankings were. The reason I did that specifically is because, um... I saw a lot of back and forth with this pilot episode. There seemed to be a little bit of, I don't want to say confusion, but I I saw different numbers. Um, And this particular site that I used matched the number that I saw predominantly when it comes to the pilot episode. But its numbers also matched the numbers of the other five episodes. So it seems like the pilot might be called into question in terms of the rating. That being said, I'm going to go by memory and assume that the higher number is correct because, I mean, obviously the show got picked up, but at the same time, I remember it being a big deal, and I think the spoilers getting out there helped that because we've got some big plot development. So, the official rating for this episode of UPN, the SmackDown Pilot, is a 5.8 share, which translates to 58 points for our scenario or game or whatever you want to call it. So, if you really think about what we discussed in the pregame, that is a lot of ground to cover and to cover in terms of points. And if you want to talk about ground to cover to cover, I just I just learned uh, how to speak English yesterday, guys. This is how this is going to go on this program. Now, I don't want to do a recap show. I've, I do a recap show. WCW Must Die. It's great every uh, other Sunday. It rotates when there's not a pay per view to be covered uh, with Johnny C and the Multiverse of Fabulousness, which is a lot of fun as well. Um, but what I, I am going to go chronologically. Okay. And I'm going to specifically discuss each point that I have awarded to this broadcast along the way. I have taken some notes about some things I wanted to mention that are not point worthy stuff that I feel like if you're talking about this era and it makes you chuckle or brings a smile to your face or makes you think, my God, I can't believe they got away with this shit. It's fun to mention. Um, but if you want to uh, watch the episode ahead of time or after. I will do my best to leave the minutiae out of it. That way you can still have a positive viewing experience. But be forewarned, if they can get to that amount of points, you know, just hypothetically, that's 58 different points of articulation on this action figure or 58 different items that I'm going to end up discussing. So maybe watch it before, watch it after. I don't know. You do what's best for you because after all, isn't that what life's about? Okay, Uh, We do start with an opening video package. Now, why do I mention this? Because uh, I started awarding awarding points right away. This opening video itself earned three points. Uh, The first one for directing. Through this video and the way it was edited and put together, I was able to understand that there are two big storylines going on right now, which is apropos because there are two big good guys on top or main characters that you want to follow if you're a regular television show, that is. I understood from watching this video that the corporation has been feuding with The Rock and Shane McMahon is in control of the corporation and trying to basically rule the company. I understood that the Ministry of Darkness is feuding with Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, as they kidnapped Stephanie and held her hostage for shares in the company, and she was rescued by Stone Cold Steve Austin. It gets a point for writing because the heroes are defined, that being Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and the rock, and we understand the last major movements in their story. Uh, the final point from the opening video along uh, excuse me, alone is a directing point um, for a fantastic editing job. Uh, these WWF videos are always fantastic. The music is on point. The music swells. It's that um It swells right on a slow motion shot of Vince looking at Stone Cold Steve Austin mouthing the words, thank you for rescuing Stephanie from the black wedding, not the red wedding. This is the original colored wedding. It's the black wedding. Um, And God, it's just, it's perfectly done. And and it gave me feels, which is the fuck I'm not turning the channel. So good on that. What I wanted to talk about uh, just a few moments ago that came to my attention about budgets being increased once you're picked up as a show is that this is just filmed using the raw set and interestingly enough all the banners and apron banners just have the wwf scratch logo nothing wrong with that at all not worth points just fun to mention because we know what smackdown will look like eventually and this is a pilot and hey it Actually, I give them a lot of credit because that makes them more like a regular TV show. So good on you guys. Uh, Another thing just to point out for fun is Michael Cole and Jim Cornette are on commentary. Maybe they'll give us some points later. Maybe they won't. We'll see. The next point, point number four, is awarded to Vince McMahon. Because in the opening, him and Stephanie give an interview uh, basically talking about everything that happened on Raw. And Vince does a fantastic job playing to the audience, acknowledging that he was an asshole because they start chanting asshole at him. But he's really trying to turn over a new leaf and he begrudgingly thanks all the people that helped Stephanie. Now, I say begrudgingly because you can tell he's absolutely happy to have his daughter safe and sound, but Stephanie's kind of staring at him the whole time, giving him the eye, like, don't forget to thank this guy. Uh, It's Shamrock Big Show, who has a big heart, (laughs) and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the people he thanks. So you get an acting point for that, Vince. Just another fun thing to point out, Stephanie McMahon has grown so much as a performer in these 20-some-odd years. Now, I guess it's kind of like, well, I would hope so, but... Man, she's she's different here. Okay, I notice this right away because I award the next point, the fifth point, to Stephanie McMahon. Uh, It's an intangible point. So I've already blown my first one. I give this point because the audience cheers when Stephanie describes the horrible ordeal that she went through on Raw. And the crowd pops when she talks specifically about having her clothes stripped off of her against her will. And then they pop again when she talks about the Undertaker running his hands all over her. Now, I'm not, you know, if this... I'm not condoning this type of behavior, clearly, but it's so 1999 for the crowd to get nuclear when she talks about this stuff. And you can actually kind of tell that she's trying to maybe hold in laughing. Um, so it's just it's 1999 in a nutshell. So I give it an intangible. I love seeing the Mean Street Posse. Just want to throw that out there because eventually this new streamed line corporation led by Shane does come down. The next point, point number six, is awarded to Shane McMahon uh it's a writing award for explaining subtly through his talking down to Vince about Vince's recent turn from heel to face and what's been motivating that it's a great way to talk about character motivation while also moving the plot forward without sounding like exposition because the audience you're in front of needs to be re um you know they need some reaffirmation of what you know is the the latest beat in the storyline so good on you just something fun to mention. For fuck's sake, does 1999 Shane McMahon look like Fred Savage? It's uncanny. Like, I don't even know. I don't know if that joke's been made before. It has to have been, though. I mean, it's uncanny. All right. Point number seven awarded to Shane McMahon for acting. We're already up to seven points, and we're we're not even past the, the you know, the main event, or excuse me, the opening interview. 1999 is hot, guys. It's an acting award to Shane, like I mentioned. It's for him. Uh, by being a really annoying heel, by overusing different variations of the phrase "goodbye" to announce kicking Vince out of the ring, he's like "goodbye, audio, see ya later." Like, and it's really annoying. But they're really trying to get over Shane as a snarky, like, kid who kicked his dad, and now he's in charge. And you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but maybe he does know what he's doing because he's just going to try to be as ruthless as possible. But it's a really annoying, like. Older younger kid trope and it's great to see Shane channel that because while he is a man his character is still a young businessman so I like that a lot Uh, the next uh, are still still in this segment point number eight awarded uh, to the writing it's a writing award. Uh, Shane looks for volunteers to take on the Rock and Stone Cold in the main event. Triple H volunteers. Uh, Shane starts asking around who else will volunteer, and everyone else, everyone in the corporation does. But then he says, you know, uh, he says, looking for a tag team partner for Triple H. Any takers? But he he doesn't really overemphasize it like I did. And the lights go out, and we cut to a pre-recorded video from the Undertaker. It was cheesy, but it worked. It worked, especially with where they're going later. Uh, The pre-recorded video, just out of note, of the Undertaker's promo does not work for me. And it actually kind of made me laugh because it came across as kind of shitty. The next point, point number nine awarded, it's a a writing award. It's for Michael Cole and Jim Cornette running down the entire, uh, to the best of my knowledge at this point, uh, when they were awarded the point match card for this evening's events. Now, why is that important? Well, for God's sakes, you want to tell your audience why to not change the channel, right? If this was like a, a big episode of like a teen drama, you know, maybe the episode starts with Pacey kissing Joey. And the whole episode revolves around, will Dawson know that uh, Pacey kissed Joey at the beginning of the episode? Well, you got to stay to the end to probably find out. So they're telling us what we can expect along the way. And whether or not you agree that the matches are positive or negative, you have to agree that this is a positing step for maintaining and growing viewers so they get a point for it i love that as they're going through the matches in true boomer style jim Cornette calls x Pac x-pack those older guys can just never seem to figure it out and if anyone is interested in the advertised card it's triple h and the undertaker versus austin and rock in the main uh the outlaws going for the, the tag title straps against x-pack and kane the big boss man versus mankind and a street fight between Bradshaw of the Acolytes, not even the APA. so real old school Bradshaw. He's still got the symbols painted on his chest. And Kenny, Kenny Shamrock. So I'm excited for that. Um, the next point comes to us right before we head to commercial. It's an acting award. And by God, it goes to fucking Owen Hart as the blue blazer. You just see the blue blazer running down the hallway from behind. He spreads his cape and says, "The WWF needs a superhero, and I'm here to bring him one." Woo! And then it cuts to commercial. Oh man, it's so fucking awesome. The next uh, segment involves Val Venus coming to the ring. They call him alleged adult film star, um, and I'm wondering if this is like a UPN specific thing that they threw out there because I don't, I, I, I didn't, I don't know that it was alleged. They showed a lot of adult films that he appeared in. Uh, yeah, I'm doing the finger quotes thing, but um, it just goes to show. Kind of like I see on WCW Must Die when I do Thunder. A lot more profanity is bleeped out. Uh, even even little ones like Ass, you're getting beeped on Thunder. So tape show, different network, yada, yada, yada. Um, Val Venus' promo uh, that we all come to love and know revolves around uh, indicating there are no early withdrawals from the Val Venus hedge fund. So Jeff Jarrett comes down the ring and I pause it and we are literally exactly 20 minutes in. And I thought that might be a, an interesting moment to recap where we're at with points. Of course, we all know the goal is 58. At this moment, we're at 10 and, you know, 20 minutes have elapsed. And I felt like I was maybe being a little too generous in the opening segment. You know, this is, after all, my first time awarding these arbitrary points that I try to rationalize. Um, But then some, you know, you just will. I'll do another recap here in a moment. But I wanted to set that scene because I think it's really interesting. The next point is a directing point, and it's awarded to uh, the Blue Blazer Uh, Well, kind of the blue blazer, not so much him himself, but uh, Jarrett teases that he's going to fight Val because the blazer is nowhere to be found. And they keep the blue blazer out of frame as he runs down the aisle to attack Val Val before the match starts. So I thought that was a good directing choice. Um, You know, it's simple but effective. Obviously, keep the surprise until the last moment. It's kind of interesting that you can hear Jim Ross's voice coming out of Michael Cole's mouth in a sense that, you know, he's in his ear. Um, because he, the way he phrases some things, it's just, well, that's Jr. Jr. told him to say that, told him to say that. Uh, if you're interested in who wins the match, it's the blue blazer when Jeff Jarrett kicks Val in the dick and the blazer just covers him. The next point, point number 12, is awarded to the Blue Blazers theme music, because holy fuck, I love it, and it's an intangible point, and I'm already too down when it comes to that. The Godfather then comes out to collect Deborah. Apparently, Jeff Jarrett lost Deborah to the Godfather on Raw, and now she has to be a <clears throat> ho, their words, not mine. And, and that's what leads to the next point. It's point number 13, and it's a writing point, And it's for interlinking multiple mid-card stories in one segment. Because we had some shenanigans with Val and Nicole Bass. Obviously, the Blazer and Jarrett are a story. Deborah and Godfather are a story, by extension, with Jarrett. And it's a it feels very Russo in a sense that you get a lot happening in what was a two-minute match and a couple of extra minutes of shenanigans around it. But guys, gals, folks out there in the world, I can tell you as a person who lives in WCW 2000 weekly television that's written by Vince Russo, this is a different type of presentation. I can't quite put my finger on it at this moment, but it feels different and it is different and it's just, it makes more sense. I didn't feel lost at all like I do sometimes on Nitro or Thunder. So, you know... There's going to be something to this, all right? The next point is awarded to The Rock for walking around his—it's an acting award— walking around his locker room monologuing to himself about teaming with the rattlesnake Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, It's just The Rock, man. He's he's on fire. So now that that segment's over, let's reset. We're 26 minutes and 30 seconds into this thing. Now, before the first segment involving a match— and I wanted to mention this specifically because I talked about will matches from this era be worth a damn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in the first 20 minutes, which was theatrics and sports entertainment, I awarded 10 points. Through here, in the next 6 minutes and 30 seconds, which involved a match, I've only awarded 4 points. Now, granted, we're, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison in terms of time. The opening segment was about 3 minutes and 30 seconds longer. But there's no way, based on the averages, that I could have gotten to 10 points uh, in the amount of time, you know, if if it was to be apples to apples. So, I don't know. Um, I'm wondering. It's a high rating. Can we get there? And the reason I wanted to pause there is because in the next—well, we've got a commercial—but in the next 65 seconds of World Wrestling Federation programming— And I swear to God, I got a little choked up as I was writing out all these notes. And I'm not afraid to admit that. God, Owen Hart earns this pilot episode of SmackDown four goddamn points in 65 seconds. Kevin Kelly is in the back with the blue blazer and he's got his full regalia on. He got his cape back, which he wrestled most of the match of in his cape. Uh, It came off towards the end. If it would have stayed on, he was going to get a point for that. Um, Just because it's what happens great character stuff kevin kelly's interviews in, interviewing the blue blazer and uh about 10 seconds into it he calls him owen and the blazer's like oh i'm not owen you know i've been looking for owen where is he i haven't seen him in days <laughs> so he gets an acting point for that um he then wants to make the point that the wwf is an evil dirty place and he wants to defend us from that but the character of blue blazer doesn't He struggles and hesitates saying the word cleavage because he feels that it's evil and dirty. And he actually struggles and ultimately refuses to say the word Venus when talking about Val because we all know what it sounds like. It's an acting point for that. Um, He also gets another acting point because he uses the word deplorable as an adjective to describe a lot of things in the WWF. And I don't know if it's just like his word of the day. Or if he couldn't think of anything like kick your leg right out of your leg, but he kept saying it. And it's such a fun word to use. And it has all sorts of modern connotation to it. So um, I don't know. It just, it really, it really was great character stuff. Okay. And then if I, it, I can only, I give him one final acting point for his sign off. It's kind of fucking sad, man, because that interview he gives it over the edge. He says the same thing, and it's so fucking funny, and it's so perfect for this character, and Owen Hart is so perfect at this Blue Blazer character. It's like the best type of wrestle—I don't want to call it wrestle crap, because that implies that it's bad, but it's it's like the best mid-card act. It's funny. When, when you give Owen Hart the Blue Blazer time to wrestle, it'll be great— and there's just so much you can get out of it. For Christ's sakes, he tells all the kids at home to take your vitamins, say your prayers, and drink your milk. Woo! I can see him. He did. I wondered in my mind because when he says drink your milk, he doesn't do like a motion with his hand, like taking a swig, a big big drink of milk. I'm pretty sure he does that at over the edge in the backstage promo that they're airing. Thank God, um, because. You know, I had over the edge on tape uh, off of the live pay-per-view feed. And you know, I watched it. And I mean, I didn't watch it for, you know, I don't know. I've seen it a bunch. And drink your milk. I can hear it in my head. Hey, yay, yay. But goddamn, Owen Hart, you're fucking awesome. You are- It's just, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm gonna, I am gonna want to ramble about it. I think that uh, everyone gets the point four points in 65 seconds man good for you owen you fucking deserve it all right so pressing along with the mission at hand there is something interesting i did want to point out to everyone and that is that uh, and i noticed this as the big show is coming down the aisle for the next segment uh his name card uh and his uh you know, like the, the Kylon they put at the bottom, you know, it says The Big Show. It does have the proper SmackDown branding, color sequence, logo, and stuff like that. Uh, and the opening title sequence did as well. And it also had the original SmackDown the theme song. The... I'm not going to do anymore. Uh, so they definitely knew where they were going to go if they got picked up. You know, I don't think they would go through all this... Well, they did go through all this without the promise of uh, getting picked up. But that's, you know, you put your all into it and show them what you're going to give them uh, when you do get picked up. So uh, no surprise there that WWF put forth uh, the little bit extra of production that they needed to to make it seem like it's its own thing. Uh, point 19 is awarded. It's a writing award for Michael Cole because that's the big Show's coming down the aisle. He calls him the most coveted free agent in the history of sports entertainment, and he's only 27. And I was like, there you go. Now I know who that character is. The Big Show is coming off of that uh, Boiler Room brawl with Mankind from Backlash. And I don't, I don't want to turn this thing into one gag after the other, but I would be remiss. Because when am I ever going to talk about that match, that when Mankind wins that match, when he gets out of that Boiler Room... WWF official Teddy Long is in the hallway waiting to declare the winner, as a referee does in a Boiler Room brawl, because the first person to escape the Boiler Room in this particular match is the winner. I, When Mankind pops out of that, that Boiler Room, Teddy Long's just standing there. It's almost like he's just waking up, almost like he was asleep, you know? And, like, his alarm clock goes off, and it just so happens that his alarm clock is a competitor exiting the boiler room in a violent fashion because you know it's a violent match and he just grabs foley's hand lifts it and looks it like spikes the camera and he goes the winner is mankind and then i think someone runs in from off camera and punches foley or something but (laughs) saying the winner is mankind became a part of the lexicon of my friend group in high school for some reason (laughs) Like if my buddy was struggling to open his locker or something, and then maybe he punches it and it and it finally gets open. I just run over to him and point and be like, the winner's bad card! <laughs> you know, and then leave. I don't know. Tess still has a slow, creepy music where it's like, this is a test. This this is a test. <laughs> it was very creepy. Point 20 awarded to Michael Cole again for writing. Uh, Test a victim of Shane McMahon's corporate takeover. Uh, it's just it, now I know what the character's beat is, and uh, honestly, the little rhetoric that he uses to describe what happened to Test works really well. Given the stable's called the Corporation, it's it's just efficiency, man. But they do they do talk about how Test was like. Uh, treated horribly by the corporation and then you know he finally snapped and turned and you know stopped taking their licks or what have you and i was like jesus is test like the virgil like is that because i didn't remember that part of the test character so i don't know he has a a quick blazing run towards the top of the mid card and then fizzles out and never really reaches it again and i don't know virgil i don't know Um, who, what does this fucking say in my notes? Oh, (laughs) the big boss man comes down during this match, um, right as it starts. And speaking of right as it starts, point number 21, writing development to Michael Cole real quick. He says, Vince and Stephanie have indeed left the arena in disgust. It's quick, and they don't really spend a lot of time on it to take away from, from what's going on. As soon as Cole stops delivering that messaging, though. We, are, we go right into point 22 and it's an acting point because the big show hits a really cool drop kick on test and yes it is acting because when they're in the ring that's how they win their awards and their points uh if anyone's interested the big show wins in like a minute and then uh i mean yeah it was interesting and then the boss man tries to beat up test again and the big show defends him i do find it super interesting as a little tidbit of information that As this pilot is happening, Test is beginning a grievance with Shane McMahon, and we all know that it does lead to a pretty decent payoff. And at the end of this year, the big boss man and the big show will indeed be feuding against one another. I don't know. It's kind of fun to point out that all this does lead to something. I don't know. Interesting. Point 23 original is initially awarded as, or God, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, let's try that again. Point 23 comes at you next because you take two. Uh, they say, just like Stone Cold Steve Austin helped Vince McMahon. He didn't do it because he loves the man, but he sure does hate the corporation. It's a writing award or writing point. And it goes to Jim Cornette for pointing out, for pointing out and helping get over the overall themes of allies in this uh, entertainment league. Uh, you know, they are usually allies because of common enemies, and I think it's just a nice little in-universe world building. Get the scorecard ready, folks, because here comes The Rock. All right, point twenty-four immediately awarded to Michael Cole for writing, for getting The Rock's story over quickly and concisely to the viewing audience. He's a Rock. He's 26, already a three-time champ, and he's the future of sports entertainment. Fantastic. It does sound a little JR-ish. It probably was, but... You know, if you're, you know, if you're going to give your audience, you know, Superman, uh, because you're about to have a segment where you basically have your Superman and Batman together, you know, advancing the storyline, you better get over how important he is pretty quickly. And they did that. We are halfway there with points, though. That, That point that Michael Cole gets for The Rock is 24 out of a needed 58 to win. I don't know what we win yet. Um, and we, ironically enough, have 58 minutes left to go in the broadcast, which I thought was kind of humorous. Um, they, You know, and like I said, it's great world building, getting The Rock over and putting over what he is as a character. And, you know, putting over The Rock as a character is something that I tried to do in my daily life at this point. Because, man, I had some Rock sideburns. How many of you also did Point 25 is awarded because The Rock does all his catchphrases and threatens Austin. So you might think I'm about to give an acting point to The Rock for 25, but no, it's a directing point because as soon as he threatens Austin, the glass breaks. It's great, great directing. Um, and then point 26, as Austin comes down the aisle, it, they do the exact same thing they did for The Rock for point 24, and he is your Batman or your uh, next highest important character, and he's the champion. You better explain to your audience who he is. So it's smart. Point 27 immediately fires off because Austin calls Rock's shtick and catchphrases nursery rhymes. And I don't know if I can give him an acting point for that. So I say fuck it and I give him intangible number three because it just pops me like it's nobody's business. It was just funny. His delivery was great. Now... Shane is here and he has nuclear heat with a fucking asshole chant that is off the chart. He's glad that they are ready to attack one another because Shane's plan is getting bigger. As soon as he says getting bigger, .28 is awarded because the lights go out and the lighting changes subtly and the Undertaker theme starts to play. And it's just a good edit. It's a good director mood, directing move. You tell your story with, you know, I'm not going to get into the history of directing or the point of directing. We all know what it is. Uh, I'm starting to get good feels, though, man. Uh, they do the forming of the corporate ministry where Shane says, because I'm gonna pause. And I pause. Yes, it's a big moment. I wanted to, to sort of give you my honest feedback on this moment. So I'm thinking, oh man, I'm about, I'm about to start, you know, handing out points left and right for everything they're about to do and they do a cool spot they you know it is cool Shane says that uh the the, you know they're now the corporate ministry and they do the thing where a member of the corporation and the ministry come out together and then go to the side that they're originally on and it looks like this giant monster team and I'm about to give it a point just for awesome presentation you know directing is probably where it's gonna go but I stop. Because Jim Cornette gets really like hokey and circusy and like old time. And he's like, oh no, have they joined forces? Like it's just, it was it was a little hokey. But then Shane does get a point. point number 29 for acting. And he says, let me be the first to introduce you to the corporate ministry. And that, that doesn't do it justice because Shane's got a good voice. Um, but I really thought I was going to go batshit crazy with the points. And it was a cool segment. Um yeah now the corporate ministry is formed and it's kind of it's strange there's a little bit of a disconnect i think because it's a taped show because as they come back they go to a commercial right away and they come back and it's just an interview with xpoc and kane and you know it, it feels like we just saw this massive like world changing forever thing happen and maybe that was just something i made up in my mind but you know it's not exactly the, the NWOs here, and they've, they're, you know, they have control of the show now. We don't know what's going to happen next. Um, but goddammit, now I have to give away intangible point number four. Uh, I only got one left, but it's the 30th point overall. And I have to give it to Draza's hat, because he's coming down the aisle with Prince Albert now. And I have to give it to Draza's hat, because in WrestleMania 2000 for the Nintendo 64, uh, my character, my sports entertainer, The gentleman known as www.john.com wore this very hat for his entrance. He also did the pedigree as his finisher, but he called it the Purina. If anyone understands why, you win. You win life because you get Johnny C's joke. Um... His opponent's D'Lo, which this is not a point thing. It's just it's kind of awkward that I'm about to watch D'Lo and draws wrestle in 99 because, you know. But I do award a point, point 31, because as soon as the bell rings on this match that I have no interest in and I'm worried might be a point killer, they promote and promise me that after this match, they're going to uh, do some stuff with Sable, who... All jokes aside, is a if not the top female star because I think she's positioned as like a champion where China isn't yet. Um, it's good to promote something, it's kind of like a reward. Like if you sit through it, th- it's a writing point. If you sit through this, we will reward you. So just hang out. Deal with it. Don't turn the channel. Because you never know when this match this match could be over in 60 seconds, just like the last one was, and then it's gonna be Row. that's the Sable theme song. Jesus, d does do a running, set-out bomb, and it makes me uncomfortable. And then he does the sky high, and I'm uncomfortable, and I shouldn't be. And I'm not trying to make light of it. It's just, it's real. I do laugh, though, because they, Michael Cole calls Ivory the spark plug, and it just feels like one of those things that they would call a character that they really don't have any sort of inclination as to what it means. It's like, why is she the spark plug, King? It's like, well, because she, like, waves the hanky around a lot or her little scarf thing. I don't know. (laughs) If anyone cares, Albert interferes, and it's a DQ. D'Lo Brown wins. And point 32 is immediately awarded because uh, Prince Albert is going to pierce the tongue of D'Lo Brown involuntarily. And Mark Henry comes down for the save wearing a sweet suit. I don't know what color it is because I'm very colorblind, but it looked kind of like dark tan, and I did not research it. But here's why they get the point for writing, okay, because this is a writing point. During that match that I wasn't really paying attention, I mean, I was paying attention, but it it ended up meaning nothing. I think it's the first, like, time the two performers in a segment didn't earn any points, but Cornette casually mentions, and I do mean casually, it didn't stand out like a sore thumb at all, that um, D'Lo Brown is looking to target some singles championships because his tag team partner has, you know, recently gone out on the shelf to have double knee surgery, Mark Henry. And I, in the back of my head, I'm just thinking, oh, this just, You know, One of the many times that Mark – when you're in the business that long, you get hurt. I'm not critiquing. It's just, oh, so Henry's hurt at this point. So when he did come down for the save, I was like, damn, they subverted my expectations, but they did it in a casual way. Um, I didn't have expectations, but I certainly didn't expect to see Mark Henry. So good for them. They get a point. Um, I I wait for Sable to be present on the screen, not because so much I'm interested, but just that's kind of what I expected as a viewer – and we get uh, Kane and X-Pac defending the tag titles against the New Age Outlaws. And I feel like I should take a point, but I didn't establish rules for taking points, so I'm not going to. Point 33 is awarded to Glenn Jacobs for acting because, man, he's really working his character well. I love that original mask design, and, and he makes it work uh, without his face. He just, he's, it's good stuff. Point 34 to Jim Cornette for writing. Which is, you know, whatever, but he literally gives a clear and concise summary of the Kane character's backstory in, I think, under 20 seconds, and it sounded just fine and also realistic for the product that I'm watching. I I know that sounds crazy. If I had pulled it as a soundbite, you could hear it and experience it for yourself, but maybe it's a reason to go back and watch the show. Point 35 awarded for acting to the New Age Outlaws because, Jesus Christ, that sing-along shtick was over. Um you know there were, they were. You cannot take it away from them. Um, there are 37 minutes left in the show at this point. I noticed casually, and there are 23 points left to earn. You know, it's like a a movie. You got to have a ticking clock. You know, the the bomb's gonna explode in 60 minutes. Arnold Schwarzenegger, are you gonna rescue the little kids? <sighs> hey Terry Funk, you put the bomb, you put the bomb in this in this, in this kid's school. That's not cool, dude. No, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. I had to do some Schwarzenegger. It's Schwarzenegger off top because Schwarzenegger and SmackDown go hand in hand, and that's why I'm doing it. Um, 36 is a point that's awarded next. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to laugh at my patheticness. Um, because Road Dogg and X Pac are wrestling to a stalemate, and they don't like do the reach out handshake to one another or the smack hands. They just crotch chop one another. And I was like, that really works for those characters. So it's an acting point for them. Michael Cole, Michael Cole, Michael Cole casually calls Billy Gunn the best pure athlete in the WWF. And I'm just like, good Lord, Jim, just come on out and do the commentary. Like you're already doing it. Like, just come on out so we can all see you hear the nice Southern docile tones. It's just, he's feeding him and feeding him. And it just sounds unnatural, but I digress. Now, if you would have told me uh, when I started this episode that I was going to give a point to a dropkick, I would have told you no, I'm probably not going to do that, guys, Uh, but I did. And if you would have told me that I would have awarded a second point to a dropkick, I would have said, well, how the hell could I award a second point when I haven't awarded the first point yet because I'm not going to award a point for a dropkick? Well... Johnny C from the past buddy you are wrong because point number 37 is an acting point and it's earned by Billy Gunn because he hits a drop kick but it's like a shining wizard drop kick because it's a drop kick with one foot but it's not accidental. it's kind of like pre-planned and thought out. I don't know. I-, I thought it was cool. It was nice to see that athleticism. It made him look interesting and that's you know we all know Mr. Ass. that's hard to do. It's hard to look for him to look interesting. So he does, and he gets a point. He also earns another point later in the contest, he being Billy Gunn Pronouns, pal. And it's an acting point, and it's point number 38 because he does the flare flop after doing that stinger splash dive where he posts his own face. It's a, it's kind of obvious, but it... I don't know. I liked it. It entertained me. I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> um, Point number 39 is... A subtle point, but it's definitely earned because Michael Cole wonders during commentary if Shane McMahon was involved in the Stephanie McMahon abduction that was planned by the Ministry of Darkness. Now, that's important because Shane earlier uh, used his motivation against—well, earlier when he was— talking to Vince and talking down to him. He asked Vince why he didn't reach out to the new corporation for assistance when it came to rescuing Stephanie. So is that a cunning ruse? Um, I don't know. It's, just, it's important because it makes it seem like these announcers are not just giving us what they've been told to say, but perhaps wondering aloud and trying to develop the storyline themselves. I know that in the grand scheme of things, it's, Kind of a throwaway. But I think it's important, especially when you're trying to get over to this audience, your big storyline. So I gave him a point for it. And that makes a 39, if I didn't mention that already. If anyone is uh, following along for match results, you can write down that the New Age Outlaws lose because there's a miscommunication spot and it it leads to the finish. Now, Doc Hendricks appears in the ring and he introduces the brood. So point number 40... Comes as a directing point for the brood's entrance. I think it explains itself. I love that thing. It's fantastic. I do note to myself because I, I you know, I pause the video to award the point in my notes that we've got exactly thirty minutes left as this brood entrance is happening, and we've got forty points. So the ticking clock continues. Boop, 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 boop. That's my best impression of the twenty-four clock sound. I didn't watch twenty-four. Which, you know, surprises me because a lot of people told me it's basically like Metal Gear Solid without the, you know, crazy walking tanks or psychic soldiers and things like that. So, I don't know. Just missed it, I guess. Point number 41 is awarded to Michael Cole. And it's a writing point because they summarize the story of the Brood uh, pretty concisely. That they were aligned with the Ministry of Darkness and they're about to break their silence for leaving the Ministry of Darkness. And they never talk. And Jim Cornette adds that that makes this a big deal. So, good. I, I now know who these characters are if I'm tuning in for the first time. And, to tell you the truth, even though I'm a lifelong wrestling fan, I wasn't exactly keyed in to where, where they were in their story as they came down. So, fuck. It even works for me. It might be the easiest point they've earned all night. Um, They do mention that the brood likes to, you know, spit the red liquid. And I was like, whoa, dude. is this WCW. <laughs> Sometimes I get confused as to what show I'm on, so I don't know. Uh, it could be the blood of the all dad though. That's a TNA never dies gag. Oh we oh we oh. What if the brood teamed up with the disciples of a new church for a theme song remix? Bum 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 bum. Oh we oh bum bum bum. Oh we oh bum bum bum. Bum. Oh, wow. oh, wow. oh, my God, I'm sorry. It just kind of caught on as I started doing it. I couldn't help myself. I also couldn't help myself but thinking that Doc Hendricks is wearing a woman's suit. And And there's nothing wrong with that because it's kind of like a onesie suit with a belt around the waist. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I mean, that's a woman's suit. And there's nothing wrong with him wanting to wear that woman's suit. Okay, dude? I want to make that very clear. But, that being said, I can't imagine that he wanted to. So this comes off as a Michael Scott scenario as opposed to a a purposeful cross-dressing. If you'd like to know, because the brood does talk, and if you want to know why I don't give them any points during this long segment where the brood is talking, I feel like I should probably summarize it for you. And I kind of promised I wouldn't get into the weeds too much of what happens on screen. But I also feel like I hyped up the brood finally speaking and giving their motivation so much that I have to explain why they earned no points for said explanation. When they come to the ring, Doc says, We've all been waiting to hear you break your silence. The center stage is yours. And Gangrel has a microphone in front of his mouth and says, and I apologize, The brood initially... Has not spoken by our own choice, and then later it was forbidden <laughs> by the Undertaker. Well, when the brute entered this world, we craved the guidance, the guiding light to show us the way, and that was the Undertaker. Well, unfortunately, the Undertaker's thoughts and feelings were not the same as ours. <laughs> Where in the darkness we seek a much different light, we live our collective lifestyles for who we are and what we believe in, and this. Is search of the mystery of life and the hereafter and the power is what we seek and it's within all of us and we'll just have to unleash it (laughs) oh my god what is with these vampire characters man they just fucking suck don't let this man talk edge does get on the stick and when he takes off his sunglasses he gets a sweet female pop but no points and edge does the very wooden edge speaking that we're used to from his early years. And when he says out, it comes out, eat. And it makes me laugh. But still, no points. Um, finally, finally, Doc Hendricks, of all people, earns point number 42. <laughs> and it's kind of funny that this is point number 42, because he gets it for saying, "Um, I don't know what you all are smoking, but I think this is just a gimmick for attention. Um, and it's an acting point because he at least acknowledges that they don't make any sense. Point number 43 then is earned by Gangrel, but it's a writing point And he says, you seem to be the one that is confused, Michael. And he calls him Michael, which, of course, is a behind the scenes peek that this is actually Michael P.S. Hayes. But I want to make note, it's a writing point because it's a plot development. It's not an acting point for Gangrel because fuck me sideways. It's an awful performance. The lights go out. They attack Doc and there's a bloodbath. And I mention this again only because it pops me and makes me laugh because Jim Cornette pulls a fucking Mike Deney because Michael Cole, after Doc Hendricks is revealed in blood, says, Doc Hendricks, the victim of a brood bloodbath. And Cornette retorts, that's a psychological tactic that a brood uses. Which is so fucking Mike today Uh, Again, I couldn't help but laugh They're lucky to get these two points And they ate up a decent amount of mid-card TV time So they might be the least valuable players I don't know I haven't calculated anything like that Ken Shamrock is interviewed and mentions that he was born on the street And raised to fight And he fights for space So is Ken Shamrock like the original member of Space Force? I don't know Point number 44 is awarded Next, and it's a directing point, because when Bradshaw comes down the aisle, he's attacked by Ken Shamrock from behind. Okay, now, what's the big deal with that? Well, during the interview with Ken Shamrock, they showed a clip from Monday on how Bradshaw attacked Ken Shamrock from behind as he was coming down the ring. So it's some nice synergy. It, it's it's thought out, and I appreciate that. It shows that your director was thinking about what to do in terms of storytelling before the show started. So good for them. Point number 45 comes during the match. So Shamrock has Bradshaw in a cross-leg breaker, as Jim Cornette calls it. And Bradshaw is doing a really good job of like selling that it hurts, but also that he's kind of fearful that Shamrock has this locked in. And they roll around the ring and Shamrock doesn't break the hold and Bradshaw kind of looks more and more frightened. But not in a way that makes him look wimpy, okay? So the point comes, or is awarded, because Bradshaw is stretching out to reach the rope and he finally does with one hand. And then he seems to realize that, and this he doesn't realize this as a botch, he realizes in character... Holy fuck, this is a street fight, and even though I finally made it to the ropes, that's not going to do me a damn bit of good. So he stretches out and reaches with his other arm to grab the ropes and uses the ropes to pull himself away from Shamrock and gets the leverage to break the hold because he falls out of the ring and and the hold is broken. And it's an acting point to Bradshaw. It's a subtle thing. I mean, it's a loud movement, if you pardon the expression, but it is subtle that in this instant second this the the Bradshaw character realizes what he needs to do because the thing that he would normally do in a match to save himself isn't gonna work I don't know I really like that a lot and because I had to really think about how to explain that I did pause the feed to type out some notes and I realized we got 21 minutes left and 13 points are needed which is 0.6 points per minute and I sorry I said point so much there in that sentence But I like this the idea of a ticking clock right after though, point number 46 is awarded to Shamrock and it's an acting point because he hits a very unique looking chop block for the second time in a match. And I realized that the first one was done intentionally. And this is actually a choice that Shamrock has made. So I appreciate that. I appreciate Shamrock going that extra mile to differentiate his, you know, leg chops or leg um, chop blocks from the other competitors. Now, I got to take a few moments here to talk about a sign that is ringside. All right. The sign says 89 days till Raw is Jericho. And then I, and I paused the footage and I'm thinking to myself, well, fuck, is this guy spot on? And I had to think, I'm like, okay, so, so, you know, Jericho's debut date, and I calculated this, and I was like, well, did the guy actually get the number of days right and does, well, cause this was taped on the 27th of April and the 29th is when it airs. And I, and I did all kinds of crazy math and I actually used a website just to summarize it all. And I was like, when I put in the dates, nah, nah, fuck. It's actually 135 days till Jericho debuts. So this guy is just kind of making shit up. And I, I resumed the tape and kept watching, but then I had to pause again. And I thought to myself, fuck, when does Jericho's contract end, dude? Dude, when's the black and white on the ink dry up, dude? When can I get this Chris Jericho out of WCW so we can focus more on Hulk Hogan? I don't know why I did that. I just like doing Hulk Hogan. And I did a little internet research and Jericho's contract ends on July 27th. So I went back to my website and I calculated this. From, you know, the date that this show airs to the date that the contract ends. And I'm like, holy shit, that's 91 days. And I think, dude, if you go to the date that this is actually aired, that's 89 days, dude. So the person that made the sign had the smarts, more so than me explaining it, because I already know that I fucked up explaining it. But basically... He's sitting here on April 27th saying it's 89 days, and that's the correct fucking date from the date that the show airs, which is April 29th, and I give this motherfucker point number 47, and it's my last intangible point, because good on you, dude, internet smart wrestling fan. Plus, if you really want to look at it from a perspective of this is a big special airing as a one-off on a network we're not usually on, you have got... Free promotion for a huge event in your future. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I've given him a lot of my TV time, dude. Uh, but this fan gets point number 47. And if you're that fan, hit me up on Twitter at the C, so you can give a congratulatory acceptance speech that I can transcribe and provide on the air to all the listeners. If anyone's keeping track at home, Shamrock wins by choking out Bradshaw with a bat. <laughs> and then hilariously all the... WWF officials come in to break it up and Shamrock beats up Charge of Slaughter with the with the bat it made me laugh. Point number 48 comes rather quickly after this contest because Kevin Kelly interviews mankind in a boiler room. And Mick says that he thought about calling off the fight with the big boss man, but he's not going to because if he does, he's out of a job. And then he launches into this soliloquy, which is awarding an acting point. UPN, regarding not wanting to fight the big boss man, he says, if I do that, UPN will be out one sports entertainment spectacular. So for those of you who don't know me, let me explain myself. I sit in boiler rooms because I enjoy the ambiance. I wear a sweaty leather mask because it helps me sell little dolls. I wear a shirt and tie because it looks so damn good. And I will shove this rancid sock that looks a lot like me down the gullet I'm the big boss, man, because I can. And because the fans seem to enjoy it quite a bit. Have a nice day. And then he hears Billy Gunn in the background yelling for X-Pac because he's been searching for him. And he goes, he spikes the camera and goes, man, what a whiner. And it's a full acting point. And he's gotten over what his character is to this new audience, just like the announcers did earlier with Austin and Rock and have been doing you know, I don't want to bemoan the point to the ground, but Foley's performance here is just so over-the-top and great. He gets that full acting point. And I do pause it here as they head to commercial because I wanted to write out Foley's speech verbatim. So we've got a time check. 17 minutes left. 10 points are needed. And I would feel remiss if I didn't say that Mick Foley, Triple H, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock are still due to perform on this show. The clock is ticking, but by God, fans, we might make it to the score necessary to win. I'm getting excited. Now, we sneak into the corporate ministry locker room as sort of a fly on the wall. And Shane's given the corporate ministry like this really decent uh pep talk or rallying cry or what have you inspirational motivational words and I'm like all right I better get ready because I bet some points are going to start coming off but then the camera just heads back to the arena and I was like huh that kind of felt very very Russo in a WCW type way I mean it's certainly not the end of the world but I've been waiting for like I had anticipations of like massive corporate ministry implications like In my brain, before watching this, they owned this show, okay? Now, is it, you know, it's not a big deal or anything. It's just that I was, you know, expecting some, all right, we're going to hit some points here, and we didn't. So, just an observation. We do get back to points, though. Number 49. It's a writing point. Comes out of the mouth of Jim Cornette. When Mankind is coming out, they say... The most likable superstar in WWF history. Well, by God, that's pretty self-explanatory. That tells me who this character is if I didn't have it established already. Again, it's good pilot talk, okay? Uh, Teddy Long is the referee. (laughs) So if Mankind wins, will he say, The winner is Mankind again. Oh, I hope so. I don't like that uh, Michael Cole. I never have enjoyed. And when Big Boss Man comes down, he says this. He calls the corporation the corporate team, the corporate team's hired gun, the corporate team's head of security, the corporate team's head himbo, the corporate team's crazy flame uh, guy. Like I just, I just don't like the corporate team, the corporation. That's what works. Uh, Jim Cornette says, "Folks, if you don't know the story of Sacco, I doubt we got time to tell you." And I don't have any more intangible points, but I would have given him one. The match is whatever, which is not the important thing we're going here. Uh, Test and Big Show come down to help uh, Mick keep the big boss man from escaping during the match, though. And he gets the Sako on. he being Mankind Pronouns Pal. And he wins, he, Mankind wins, in like a minute, and that's not important. The next point comes as a writing point because they put over on commentary Test. And here's how they do it. They talk about the big show and test keeping boss man from leaving the arena or the, the, the ring area. And they say the big show acted like a bouncer. And I think it's Michael Cole puts over on commentary. The test was Motley Crue's former bouncer, which was a great addition uh, to bring to the audience's attention. It's something that I actually thought that they had gotten rid of already in terms of his character backstory. Now, is being a Motley Crue bodyguard like an amazing thing? I don't know. I don't know, but here's the point. Especially in 1999, no press slash affiliation is bad press slash affiliation. Okay, they could have brought on somebody and been like some random guy, be like, he's the most downloaded celebrity for males between 18 and 22, and here he is, and then he gets punched by like Val Venis or something. It's like it doesn't matter. Like wrestling's so hot at the time that just being affiliated with anything or something is a good thing. So I think uh, I think that's worth a point. Uh, if anyone's keeping score at home for face and heel turns, Mr. Ass does turn heel by beating up X-Pac in the back. But it's not worth anything to me. It just didn't hit anything. Um, the main eventers are walking, though, as we head to commercial. Shane's music hits. We have slightly under 13 minutes, and we need 8 points. But this is the, you know, main event-style segment. So... It's now or never, guys. It's now or never. Just a couple of observations. Triple H looks like a jobber because when he comes down for the match, he's wearing the WWF Attitude shirt in, like, true Tommy Dreamer fashion. They clearly didn't know what he was at this point. Another side note, I always wanted the H-Cubed T-shirt when I was a kid, the one with the big yellow, like, golden H with the uh, cube symbol in the upper right-hand corner. And on the back, it said, it's good to be the king. I did, however, have the Triple H wax stamp t shirt as a kid that I picked up at a house show and was fucking stoked. Uh, this was when he was just joined DX before they. It's like, it was like on the ass end of that merchandise. It was probably, a, I think it was a clearance item fuck, maybe I got it off .com. I don't want to tell s- stories out of school, but my point is is that the... Now, here's the fun part. Here's the whole fucking gag. Here I am arguing with myself about where I got it. The gag is when I was a kid, I thought it was a blood splatter. I didn't realize it was like a royal like, oh yes, Mr. Hemsley, uh, if you press your seal here, you'll make sure the envelope has been unintruded by any idle hands. Um, you know, that whole like aristocratic Triple H nonsense, but I had it, you didn't. Um, The next point is a writing point. Uh, Jim Cornette says, we are about to see four of the most diverse personalities in WWF history. And that is perfect pilot talk. It's the type of thing that you would maybe see in like an issue one of a comic, if it's like a soft reboot or just like a renumbering. It's basically telling your audience, this is our sample platter. You know, this is the four. These are the four best dishes we have right now, and and you get to take take a bite of each of them. It sounds cheesy when you say it out loud like that, but I, I don't know any other way to put it. It's just the way that it is. Uh, I'm out of intangible kid points, but this are kid intangible kid points. Well, kid factors into this intangible points, but I do think it's cool. The chain comes down with the Undertaker instead of with the corporate team. <laughs> um, it's a good visual having them together, signifying that they are one union now. And I also like. Since Shane is feuding with The Rock and the corporations, like, turned against The Rock, I like the idea that Shane is basically the antithesis of Vince in a sense that, you know, Vince went out and got himself a corporate champ, a slick, well-spoken, polished, like, muscle guy who, you know, f- who photographs well. And Shane, like a 90s emo kid, goes all goth. Or, if you don't want to be jokey or, you know, tongue-in-cheek about it, he gets a muscle-bound, bruiser-type guy who is, you know, like all muscle punches and no talk. You know, it's, it's not an absolute comparison, but it really did resonate with me, and I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. The next point, though, is for directing, and it's 52, which is just a fun number because of its comic book connotation. Google it. Um, they let the corporate ministry get in some licks on the rock before the glass breaks, and then it does, and that's where you get the directing point. In the front row, the Chris Jericho sign guy that I gave a point to, for Christ's sakes, now has a sign that says, Land the Smackdown on UPN. And not only does it say that, guys, but the U and the P and the N have the shapes around them, like the circle, the triangle, and the square, or whatever, like it's an official logo. And this this puts two theories into my brain. One, they took the Jericho sign, and they handed him this one and said, deal with it. Or two, this guy was smart enough to bring a Smart Mark sign, and then swap it out with like a super easy to get on camera cheesy sign uh, so he could absorb more screen time. Oh, either way, it doesn't matter. I'm out of intangible points. I can't award this man any further, but I don't know. That's typical Johnny C observation. Point 53, though, and this brings it back to a serious, it's serious note, uh, which means you're probably going to make fun of me because I'm going to wax philosophical about the directing. But I really feel like I'm watching something special here. You know, it's like, all the buildup to this main event segment was like watching, I don't know, like, like Ant-Man or something like that, or like uh, uh, Captain America, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, my point, though, is that now I feel like I've swapped out from that really fun to watch movie and I'm on end, and I've got Endgame and all the big guns are finally here. It's like Ant-Man is still here. You know, like maybe Shane's Ant-Man, just to keep this comparison alive. But now all the other guys are here too. And it's like a culmination of a reward for sticking with every segment of the show, all the hype. Uh, I'm here. I'm at the end game. I'm at the end of phase one, whatever you want to call it. So, and I, I feel like that's a cohesive way that the show is put together, which you could argue is writing. But since they're not saying things like that, I'm getting it from the directing, the way that the shots, I'm transitioning between all the main characters. It's frantic. There's a kinetic pace. And to pivot into that, the next point is a writing point, and it's point we We're getting close, and it's along the same lines. Jim Cornette says, If you look outside, we have a large enough cast of characters for a full-on street riot. When you combine this with the special feeling I've already got and the, the the pace that they're, you know, performing this match in and that the camera cuts are, are going, and it's not the annoying camera cuts, it's good camera cuts. Plus, Shane McMahon, the character, is, like, pacing back and forth because he's, like, into the match. He's on pins and needles. Uh, the, the guys in the ring are kind of rushing, but not in a bad way. It's in a kinetic way. Like, I can't turn away. Like, they've gotten me here with everything, and that little piece of writing makes me feel like I cannot turn away or turn the channel, if that makes sense. Although Triple H's knee-based offense completely slows down the pace, I do note that in my head. The next point, it's point 55, and we're super close, guys. The commentators are reiterating all of the story beats that we've gone through this evening, including some of the previous ones, and they're waxing philosophical on it like it's Shakespeare, but it's not in a, a stupid way. It's in a way that's sort of like putting a bow on everything and uh, also not shying away from implications or in-universe implications. And it's like you're watching a comic book movie, but it's a comic book movie that takes itself seriously. So when they talk about aliens or teleportation or blue energy fields you know, that these characters aren't being tongue-in-cheek about it. It's like, yeah, this is an everyday thing around here, man. There's blue shit in the sky. Well, there's there's blue energy in the sky, like, every 25 days, man. You just, It's a part of it. You got to figure out what it is and how to do something about it, not be blown away by the fact that there's blue energy or that there's a corporate ministry. It's a thing. Let's talk about it. Um, and I hope that makes sense. Uh, before I know it, though, the match is over. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're points short. Uh, because the corp- the rest of the corporate ministry interferes, like the, the corporate guys that were at the back of the lower guys. And th- I want to note that there were no acting points given in this match, ironically enough, considering the performers, okay? The DQ bell rings, and I'm, I, I do pause it because I want to take some notes. But whenever I've been pausing it during this thing, I've been looking at the clock. There's four minutes left, and we need three points to tie, okay, for God's sakes. And this is not planned. You know... I wondered at first if I was being too liberal with the points. And then I was like, am I being too conservative? Because along the way, folks, there were a lot of things I wanted to give points to because I held it back because I was like, that's not big enough for a point. If I establish that that's worth a point, everything's worth a point. So regardless of how this turns out, you know, and this is a truthful interpretation at this point, like, I'm glad that it's not like, oh, we're at 186 points already or, well, we're at 10 points. Like, this seems to have worked, so, you know, maybe both pilots are firing on all cylinders. I don't know. Point 56. The Union comes in with the save. And no, it's not the union yet, but it is fully big show test and shamrock. All the baby faces we've seen interwoven in the stories tonight. It's kind of like when the lesser Avengers of the time, like Falcon and and, and I like these characters. I'm not mocking. I'm not degrading, but, like, Falcon before he became Captain America, Scarlet Witch before WandaVision, like, Moon Knight. Like all, it's like all the other guys are here now, the, like, B-tier characters, but that's what we needed because now everything feels connected, for God's sakes. Okay? Everyone scatters because of this brawl except our four principals that were in the match and Shane, which is fitting. Point number 57. Shane McMahon is trying to give The Undertaker a chair to, to you know, hit Austin, And Vince McMahon, who's supposed to be gone, appears in the frame and and punches Shane with a wild Vince punch. Um, But again, it was kept in suspense and out of my frame of view. Point 58. That's the one. We are tied, folks. We are tied. Oh, did I give the union the 56 point? I feel like I might might not have, guys. I'm sorry. It's a writing point because everything matters. Fuck. Oh, well, we don't do second takes around here. Point 58, Vince saves Austin by taking a vicious chair shot from The Undertaker. When I say vicious, it made a sound and everything. And this is an acting point because it's all about the performance between Vince and The Undertaker. If this chair shot isn't vicious enough, meaning Taker's got to perform, and then Vince has to perform by being willing to take it and then sell it, if this is not a vicious chair shot, it's not truly a sacrifice made to Austin for what Austin did by saving Stephanie. And that's the point they're they're trying to get across. And if you don't believe me, Jim Cornette screams, it's the ultimate sacrifice. Taker eats a stunner. Point fifty nine. So we've crossed over into uh, we're winning by more than we're supposed to. You know, uh, Austin gets a writing credit. Or excuse me, four point fifty nine is a writing credit. It's uh, Austin getting the last word on Shane by stunning him and stunning the Undertaker, as if to say the good guys have saved the day. Which is interesting because the corporate ministry was just established. And here they are, vanquished night one. I don't know if that gets brought up or, you know, what have you, but that's the first story beat. So in a way, I'm looking at this as almost separate from the narrative, meaning that this will all matter. But if this was the only thing you ever saw, this pilot doesn't get picked up. If you coming to UPN and seeing this by happenstance, and it's a one-off thing that exists only as this moment in time, it, en- it has a happy ending. Cheesy? I don't care. That's the way I'm looking at it, because if you look at it as a fucking piece of television, there are hooks to say, I want to see more, but just in case, just in case we can't come back, it's a happy ending. It's like every fucking first movie now. Every movie has built-in sequel bait, but it still has a happy ending, just in case. The first one's not where the bad guys win. Anywho, Austin says, what the fuck? Let's get one more point. It's point number 60. It's the final point, and it's an acting point. Because as Austin pours a beer on Vince McMahon, who's knocked out just to kind of be a dick, Vince, like, springs to life, like, what is this? And uh, the copyright hits the screen, and that's an end to the pilot episode of SmackDown. So, we got there, guys. Let's wrap this up and put a bow on it, put some summaries here um we did score 60 points out of a needed 58 so we cleared the spread or whatever we by two i don't i'm not a big gambler uh it'd be bad for me acting makes up 21 points i'm not surprised it's the attitude era directing responsible for 10 points again i'm not surprised there because i think that's the hardest thing to define and when it comes to a wrestling program and directing Regardless of risks that you might take, I think those are few and far in between. Wrestling sort of has a standard presentation, but I am glad that they were able to get at least 10. I think that's a good start. Writing. 24 points, bro. That's the way it is, bro. Now, I know a lot of the writing points were maybe from commentary or things like that, but, you know, it's getting the point across. It's a team effort, bro. Even though I'm saying bro, because Vince Russo's the writer, bro. (laughs) I'll stop. Um... You know, it's no shock that that's the overwhelming winner. Well, not overwhelming. Acting was 21. It was close. But if you were going to put a gun to my head and hypothetically say which category is going to get the most, regardless of whether or not we win, I'm going to say, well, writing. And I used all five of my intangible points. And to be honest with you, I wished I'd had more. So that's going to be the finale here of our pilot episode. I hope it was a great time. I hope you want to come back for the next I really want to encourage you all to write, review, subscribe to the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Uh, There are so many fantastic uh, evergreen programs out here that have a massive back catalog that will help you scratch the itch of your fandom. Pop culture stuff with the Jenny position. We've got almost every major era of wrestling. The Wrestling War Zone. The End of the War. Covers WW with WW must die. We've got the the third party of the war, the background of the war with uh, ECW Extreme Three Way Dance every other Thursday. We've got the post war era with a great back catalog of TNA never dies in the NWA TNA era. We've got the ruthlessly aggressive era. We've got uh, now entering the Rumble where every Royal Rumble participant is ranked for God's sakes. The GWWE project is back and it's on fire. There's reevaluation going. Um, Cornoso Daily, for goodness sakes. Every morning, a quick pod blast right into your ears like a goddamn breakfast bacon burrito or bacon breakfast burrito, your choice, folks. So, the next time we're with you on UPN, it's going to be episode two of SmackDown 6, episode one of the actual SmackDown show, so no fancy video game names for this one, and it's going to be a time jump. We're going to head to the end of August 1999 with some new names on top, some recognizable names, some new feuds in place, and uh, some characters not where we found them here. I will see you the next time that you change the channel to UPN. Oh man, aren't you glad you're still here? Dude, it's my first post-credit scene. Can you believe it? I'm really aping from Marvel here, guys. But, I figured, I did promise you a hook, bro. And, if you're interested, and you stuck around, here's the story that I promised at the beginning. But, I w- since it didn't really relate to the show that much, I wanted to do it as a post credit scene. Alright, here we go. So, as promised and advertised, I had a hell of a time... Getting my eyeballs on the first, or excuse me, the pilot episode of WWF SmackDown. So as i had indicated, I definitely had read the spoilers because I was in panic mode without access to UPN. Consistent access too. And it turns out that uh, my buddy and I, uh, who I will uh, not name because I didn't ask for their permission first, although we're still good friends... Um, we drove around from person to person's house. Now, we kind of outlined ahead of time who we thought were potential targets that might have UPN. And, you know, we, we started our focus with individuals that lived on the outskirts of town. Uh, but we, we quickly realized that the WSTR, the Star 64 signal, was ridiculously unreliable. Um, so we also tried to target individuals with, with satellite dishes. Now, in 1999, we had recently made a new friend, and I won't name her personally, but she was a very nice person and probably still is. Fortunately, it's one of those things where, you know, you lose contact when everybody graduates and moves away. But that being said, uh, she was also the the new principal's daughter, okay? And, uh, well, I guess that gets a cat out of the bag if anybody that knows me listens to this, but she was so kind and, you know, even though... She didn't give a shit about wrestling, I believe. Or maybe it was something that was she, she was fringely aware of. Because, um, I mean, who wasn't at that point in time? It was sort of like, hey. Um, so we'd really like to come hang out. It's like, oh, you would? It's like, yeah. Hey, you got a satellite dish, right? She's like, yeah. And it's like, ah. Because I'd done some research. And I had already deciphered which channel had was. On, locals, on, the, on the satellite dish carrier that she had. This is awful. So... We're sitting there watching it. We finally got to her place um, because it was a blatant abuse of her t- her satellite dish. And if you ever hear this, I apologize for that. Although uh, we would become closer, you know, and be you know, so it it was a good, you know, it, it's kind of funny because in hindsight, if we would have done this like two years later, it wouldn't have been a, a thing at all. But you know, it was still pretty new. But uh, so we're watching it, and the corporate ministry has just formed. We got there right when that segment started, so I missed the, the top end. That's what I wanted to see mostly. I was a big Shane McMahon mark. Like, I was really into the storyline of, like, Shane taking over and, like, the youth movement. And, yeah, Vince, yeah. So, we're watching it, and the segment's just about over. And the door opens, dude. And it's my high school principal. Now, I got a decent amount of trouble in high school. But I will definitely admit it was more slap-on-the-wrist trouble as opposed to trouble-trouble. Trouble, trouble, we causing trouble, trouble, we do with trouble, trouble. Is that EC3? Dude, that guy is fucked up, man. Hey, if you are a fan of the Control Your Narrative wrestling group, dude, this is a post credit scene, so I can say whatever I want. Just don't even, like, just, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I said it. Need to be said. Anywho, so, uh, you know, my principal and I didn't have, like, a combative relationship. It was more of a, like... What are you doing, Johnny C? Why are you you acting out in the class like this? And I'm like, well, dude, I'm not really acting out in class per se, as much as I am giving you my perspective. Uh, Anywho, I'm sure he was shocked as fuck to walk in. And uh, based on this sort of antagonistic relationship, I sort of lived in a fantasy world where uh, me and the principal were kind of stone cold Vince McMahon. And if that piques your interest, it's a story I could tell at another time. But uh, I don't know if we stayed for the whole thing. That I can't remember. But... I had seen the corporate ministry form, so I think that was good enough for me because, like I said, I did have spoilers, and it was good. It was getting a little hot in the kitchen, dude, with Johnny C and Mr. Principal, uh, who's a super nice guy, and I mean no ill will towards. He had to put up with me as a 16-year-old kid, so good on him. Although, I will say, I don't think my demands, or not so much demands, but the things that I were asking for were too much out of line, especially in 2022. Uh story for another time. But that's going to end this first post-credit scene, dude, And Johnny C. History. I hope you liked it. And uh, I don't know. It's pointless. So that's why it's post-credits. Come back and check out the next UPN episode and check out everything on North-South. As I mentioned previously, we love you. We'll see you next time.